In Greek mythology, there is a young hunter whose beauty is greater than any other. He was so obsessed with beauty that he would avoid anything that distorted beauty, anything that was ugly. He hated things that were distorted. One day as this young hunter was out on an expedition, he came upon a pond of water. And after looking into the glassy water, saw the reflection of himself and fell in love. He became so fixated on his own beauty that it made him sick. He could never be satisfied in anything other than himself. This young man eventually would grow old and die alone. His name was Narcissus. And there is something gut-wrenchingly true. Something gut-wrenching about narcissism. About narcissistic people. There's something about when you get around someone who's so in love with themselves that you just are revulsed by them. This was true of this young hunter. And I'm sure all by true of many in your life. But there's something true about the sort of self-love that we, that we hate in others that is found in ourselves. There's something that, that's in us that we protect ourselves. A fight or flight kind of behavior. Something in us kicks in where, where ultimately we do love ourselves. It's given in everyday tasks like eating. You demonstrate that you love yourself because you have meals. And maybe some of us love ourselves more than others by how much we eat. Or by going to the doctor when you're sick. Or by taking the medicine. Or all the numerous ways we care for ourselves uh, by getting out of the rain so we don't catch a cold. In all these ways, we do demonstrate a sense of self-love. But we know that that self-love is, is evidently different than the sort of self-centered love. That love that is displayed in, in narcissists, in his, his lovesick obsession with himself. The Apostle Paul appeals to this self-love, this what seems to be natural love that we have for ourselves. And he uses it in a very unique way to argue for a husband's love for his wife. That if we truly understand this one flesh union that, that marriage is to be, that a husband and a wife is united together in one flesh, then by deduction, by basic logic, the wife then becomes a part of the husband so that to love his wife is to love his, his own self. And to hate his wife or to not love his wife is to hate himself. To not love himself. This is what we want to think about in our time this morning. Thinking about God's love for us in Christ and a husband's love for his wife. How those mirror one another? Well, Paul has been exhorting us to be imitators of God, hasn't he? 
Look back to chapter 5 and verse 1 there. Paul writes, be imitators of God. As beloved children, we are to imitate God in our lives. Then in verse 2, he kind of goes on to spell out what that looks like. How do we imitate God? Well, brothers and sisters, we imitate God most when we are loving others as God loved us. This is what he writes there in chapter 5 and verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This exhortation or command to love others is not new. It's not foreign to us, right? As we heard in the scripture reading earlier, or as we know from our reading of the Old Testament, at the pinnacle of God's law is a love for God and a love for others. And so this exhortation that we'll think about this morning about husbands loving their wives is just an implication of that command that Jesus gives his disciples to love one another. And so this is not an extraordinary command. This exhortation to love wives as Christ loved the church is not extraordinary, but rather for the ordinary Christian life. He began this section by exhorting us to imitate God by loving. He went on through various sins that we are to avoid and and characteristics we are to embrace. And last week we we thought about this truly very countercultural exhortation that that wives are to submit to their husbands. We we thought through what that meant, that that it's not demeaning, but it's, it's actually a way in which wives receive the care We thought about what it means for a husband to be the head of his wife and to provide. And this week, Paul kind of turns the the page and focuses on husbands. Now, again, I want to offer you the same reminder I offered last week. It's tempting to sort of look at your Bible, to be reading through your Bible and think, oh, well, this is just to husbands. I'm I'm not a husband. I'm not married. I'm not planning to be a husband. I'm not planning to be a wife. And think, this doesn't apply to me. Well, as I pointed out last week, Paul doesn't write to husbands and wives. He writes to churches. And he wrote to the church in Ephesus. So he wrote to the members. And so you, as a member of this church, have a very unique responsibility, regardless if you are married or otherwise. You have a responsibility to ensure that husbands are obeying this passage. This is part of accountability. This is what part of being a member of a local church means. That that we care about husbands loving wives. That it's important to us as single adults or as married or as widows or wherever God has us in life that we care. And you'll see this morning because marriage has a lot to do with Christ and the church. It sends a signal to the world around us. And so we as a congregation should particularly find our responsibility and these exhortations are pointed towards us, regardless of where we find ourselves. With that introduction, let's look now at chapter 5 of Ephesians. I invite you to turn there. It's on page 979 in the Black Pew Bibles in front of you. And I am going to begin reading in verse 25. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Spirit, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What's Paul's point? It's quite simple, isn't it? Husbands are to love their wives the same way Christ loved his church or his bride. In doing so, husbands reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around them. So the purpose of this sermon is really for us to understand what it means to love. What it means to be loved by Christ as a church. So, so please don't miss the overarching exhortation and teaching of this passage. While Paul is aiming at husbands, he has a broad scatter. He is aiming at the church. He's reminding us of Christ's love for us. And by extension, husbands' love for their wives. So Paul here outlines four ways husbands, uh, Christian, hus- Christian husbands, rather, are to love their wives. So so four ways that we're going to think about this morning. Uh, First, husbands, love your wives sacrificially. Secondly, husbands, love your wives unconditionally. Thirdly, we'll see in the text that that husbands, you are to love your wife purposefully. There's to be a purpose in the the application of your love. And fourthly, we'll see in that latter half that the husbands, you are to love your wife affectionately. You're to care about her needs and her care and concerns. Well, first we see here in verse 25 that husbands are exhorted to love their wives sacrificially. Look at what Paul writes here in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. How did Christ love his bride? In what ways did Christ do it? Did he, did he do it by telling them everything was okay? Did, did Christ do it through his incarnation? No, rather we see here in the text that Christ demonstrated his love through sacrifice. Paul says that Christ gave himself up for her, for his bride. He gave himself, he handed himself over to death. The death that his bride deserved. Notice here what Paul doesn't do. I think it's very instructive as you're reading this in light of the cultural climate we live in. Notice that Paul doesn't say, husbands, exercise headship over your wives. But rather, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, don't worry about headship. Husbands, worry about love. Now, this would have been radically countercultural to Paul's day, both in Greco-Roman culture and in Jewish culture. 
First, in Roman, in, in Greek culture, this would have been foreign. Uh, monogamy in marriage relationship was not normal in a Roman culture. Uh, it was not normal for husbands to, uh, to be faithful to their wives and demonstrate faithful love to them. Even the Jews were not much better, particularly if you took the more liberal group who taught that a Jewish husband could divorce his wife for any reason, including spoiling the dinner or not salting it correctly. For Paul, he seems to offer us a a tremendous punch in the face. He, He doesn't say, husbands, love your wives. And move on to children and and the rest. But rather elevates to the the deepest way a husband is to love. Husbands love the way Christ loved. Husbands love sacrificially. Paul has throughout this letter told us the various ways that Christ has sacrificed himself. Given himself over Counting not his own needs, but the needs of his bride. Titus tells us that he gave himself up to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify it. In other words, Christ died not because he deserved it, but because of his love for his bride. Husbands, the exhortation in this passage cannot be missed by us that husbands are to daily die to self. That the way of Christ is the way of death. Take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Sacrificial love is self-denial. It's saying that my needs are not above her needs. That my desires are not above her desires. Husbands, what we need to do is to die daily to self. To our own passions, our own desires, our own wants. And to count our wives as more significant than ourselves. I mean, you think about, even in this short letter of Ephesians, all the ways we've been told that Christ loves us. Even this aspect of sacrifice gives us a greater understanding of what love means. Let's be honest. We live in a culture that is so self-centered. So self-infatuated. Everything is customizable to our own personal experiences. From the emails you receive to what you see and receive in media to the things you watch. Customized. Just for you. Just for you. We know in marriage, it ain't about you. Husbands are to put the mantle upon themselves to display Christ's love to their wife. To selflessly and relentlessly love their wives despite their present circumstances. Or as we'll see in a minute, their lovability. Sacrificial love, biblical love, is costly love. Brothers, if you 
will tell me that you love your wife, but it cost you nothing, then in the biblical sense, you're not really loving your wife. And I want to be clear here that there are no conditions being put upon whether or not you're to love your wife. The, the exhortation is clear. Brother, how are you doing loving your wife sacrificially? Are you sacrificing time for her? Energy for her. Maybe your own ambitions and wants for her. Maybe sacrificing your Sunday afternoon football exposure. Or whatever it is. That seems to be more important than your bride. Church, we cannot miss this exhortation that Christ loves us sacrificially. That's the depth of his love for you. Friend, this morning, if you've never been loved genuinely by anyone, perhaps you grew up in a home where, where there was never love present. Maybe in your current marriage, there is zero love. Christ loves you. He loves you. Brides, maybe your, your husbands don't love you this morning. Maybe it's been a long time. Let me just comfort you with the truth that Christ loves you. He gave himself for you. And he will give you the strength to endure. Husbands, we are to love sacrificially. We are to love costly. The sacrifice of Christ is the, is the picture of the husband's love for his wife. His care for her. His self-sacrifice. But notice also in this text that not only is it sacrificial, it's unconditional. Biblical love is unconditional love. Husbands, you're to love your wife unconditionally. Look at what Paul writes in verse 26 and 27. That he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You know what that text implicitly is saying? That she, prior to his sanctifying work, was not spotless, was full of blemishes and blame. In other words, Paul is saying that the church was unworthy of such love. That the church of Jesus Christ, that you and I, when, when Christ died the death we deserved, it was undeserving, unmerited. There was nothing that we had done, no faith that we had in the future had, nothing of the sort. Paul tells us in Romans that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. While we were yet rebels, Christ died for us. That means that Christ's love for his bride is unconditional upon her present state. Amen and amen. Because what that means is that you today, as a sinner before God, there's a promise that he is making you holy. That's the promise, right, that we received at the very beginning of the letter. That we shall be Holy and blameless before him. Or then in chapter 2 that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
Oh, brothers and sisters, what we need to have hope in this morning is the work of God is taking wretched sinners like us and making us holy unconditionally. In other words, God does not fall out of love with you because you are unfaithful to him. There are many days where the enemy tempts me to think that God's love is like an ever ebb and flow of the tidal wave. That if I'm really faithful, if I'm reading my Bible and praying and just being an awesome husband and an awesome dad and, and just knocking it out of the park and preaching, then God must love me more. But this text teaches us that however bad we were, God loved us unconditionally. And the point cannot be missed upon husbands then. Husbands, you are to love your wife unconditionally. What conditions do you put on your love? Is it her faithfulness? Is it her love for you? Is it her care for you? Is it her attentiveness to your needs? Did Christ put such conditions upon you that in before he would come and die for your sins, that you had to show some effort, some glimmer, some, some movement towards him? Thanks be to God, no. Not at all. Then why do you put such conditions upon your bride? Let's be honest. I know most husbands don't watch Hallmark uh, movies, the, the movie channel on Hallmark. If you do, you have problems, and we can talk later. But in these movies, what you find in them is people falling out of love and falling into love. That's conditional love. I'll love her if she loves me back. Friend, did you not pay attention when you gave wedding vows for sickness or in death? Richer or poor? In other words, unconditional. Regardless of where she is, whether she's physically able or not. We are to love. A husband's love for a wife must remain unconditional. For you have received the unconditional love of the Father through the Son. Thirdly, here in the text, we see that husbands are to love their wives purposefully. Notice here again in verse 26 through 27, the repetition of purpose statements that he might so that and that he might make them. Three times in that short section, Paul here is emphasizing that Christ had a purpose in his love for his bride, namely to sanctify her. And so what Paul is saying here is that a husband is to have sanctifying love for his wife. Well, before we get to that, notice first the sanctifying love of Christ. Paul here is, is really giving us a picture into the, the, the customary Hebrew wedding preparation. Where a wife would be uh, washed, where a wife would be cleaned up and then presented to her husband. But more than that, Paul here is giving us a picture, a glimpse into our own future. 
that God has a plan for his church, that, that though we are ridden with spots and blemishes and wrinkles, that Christ is sanctifying us, that he is making us holy. And notice the means of holiness is the word. The preaching of the gospel is what creates life and what sustains life. The preaching of God's word is what sanctifies the church. And so church, do you give attention to the word? The word preached and the word studied. Our church will never grow in holiness if we do not regularly immerse ourselves in the word. Through teaching, through exhortation, through personal study, and through corporate worship. In these ways, the church is sanctified, made holy. We see also here the promise to claim. Notice the promise there at the end of verse 27. That one day that the church will be presented to Christ without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without Blemish, And you'll see the little footnote there. A better translation would be blameless. Morally pure and blameless. That's a tremendous hope. For us individually and corporately. In the battle against sin in your own lives, brothers and sisters, there is hope that one day we shall stand before the throne of God. And be completely holy without blame. Oh, there is much blame in my life. Much blame in your life. Much unholiness and unrighteousness. Many ways, maybe even in our marriages, where we have failed and fallen short. But there is hope that Christ is sanctifying his church and making us holy. But more than that, Paul's point is that husbands are to have a similar purpose in their love for their wives, namely spiritual nourishment through word and prayer. That husbands are to have a sanctifying love for their wife. Brothers, do you love your wife spiritually? Do you care for her soul? Yesterday, a group of us men gathered and we we thought about how often we, we think about physical needs over and above spiritual needs. How it's so natural for us to think about, hey, you know, she's got a roof over her head. She's got, you know, nice clothes. She's good to go. Paul says, you have fallen way short, man. The love that Christ has for his, his bride is a sanctifying love. I think about members of our church who relentlessly love for their love their wives by praying for their salvation. Praying for their conversion. Relentlessly sharing the gospel with them, giving them the word tirelessly decade after decade. Praying that God would save their soul. With a husband who doesn't go to bed at night before praying with his wife and taking his wife before the throne room of grace and petitioning the Father on her behalf. 
Or the husband who opens the word with his wife and asks how she's doing spiritually. Where her doubts and discouragements are. And where she feels the weakest. And then pleading for God's mercy in her life. Brothers, in these ways, we are working to sanctify our brides. Husband, you are an instrument in the Redeemer's hand to sanctify your wife. And I wonder, are you helping your wife look more like Jesus or more like this world? Is your wife being sanctified by you or in spite of you? Richard Koken, in his commentary on this text, writes this. A husband is to be concerned not primarily for his wife, his wife's short-term happiness, but for her long-term holiness, cleansing and radiance in Christ. Brothers, do you care more about short-term happiness Perhaps even hoping that if she's happy, you know, happy wife, happy life stuff. Really? I am so thankful Christ does not love us that way. That he doesn't leave us in our state. Do you, do you, you've got to get your mind around the gospel this morning if you're going to understand a husband's love here. Christ does not merely die the death you deserve. In order, in other words, wipe the slate clean. You know, kind of take a dry erase board and write all your sins out and come along and erase it. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's that's like part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's, There's another aspect, and that is the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. That be the sin of double cure, saved from wrath and made me pure. In other words, Jesus doesn't wipe the slate clean. He wipes it clean and then imputes all of his righteousness to you, making you holy as he is holy, righteous as he is righteous. And a husband is to care in a similar way for his wife's soul. Brothers, let us aim our love as the same aim that Christ has for his bride, namely our holiness. Brothers, relentlessly pray. Read your word. Pray with your wife. Read God's word. Read Christian literature together. Whatever it takes, Christian or non, for them to become holy. Is the promise that Christ has. Husbands, love by caring for your wife's soul. Finally here in verse 28 through 33, Husbands are exhorted to love your wife affectionately. Affectionately. Paul continues his argument. In the same way, husbands, verse 28, should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself, loves his wife rather, loves himself. Now I want to back up for a minute here. And I want you to see Paul's argument. He works it backwards. The argument that Paul is making, I alluded to earlier in the sermon. The argument is this. If the church has been united to Jesus Christ, united, union with Christ, a theme of the letter of Ephesians is this union we have. 
Uh, you could go this afternoon, for example, with a highlighter and highlight how many times Paul uses the preposition in Christ and with Christ in this letter. And I will guarantee you most of the letter will be highlighted. His emphasis is that we receive benefits because we're united to Jesus Christ. We are adopted because we're in Christ. We, we receive riches because we're in Christ, right? So the argument that Paul is making is this. If the church is united to Christ, and it is, then we are a part of the body of Christ, right? We use that language. And if we are the body of Christ, then Christ is loving himself, his body, right? In a similar way, marriage is a one flesh union of a man and a woman in a lifetime commitment. And that one flesh union means that when a husband loves his wife, he's just simply loving himself because they're one, they're united. This is the argument Paul is making. Well, let's look at it. First, notice Christ's care for us because we are his flesh and blood. Notice what he writes there in verse, the end of verse 30, because we are members of his body. In other words, brothers and sisters, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, by repenting and trusting, we have eternally been united to Jesus. This is why we can sing in Christ alone, in fear of death. In f- death is the great divide, is it not? In fear of death, we have confidence that we will not be severed from Christ. In fear of persecution. Because we have eternally been united. This is why Romans 8 is such a good passage to memorize. Because there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God in Christ. Why? Because we have been united to him. And it cannot be severed. It cannot be broken. Brothers and sisters, by inference, this is why divorce is so diabolical. Because it distorts the union Christians enjoy with Christ. Many, I know, have endured difficult marriages and divorce. It's hard. It's not God's plan. And you felt the crush of it. You, you, you understood that from the weight of going through that, that this is not right. This is not right. The point cannot be lost on us, though, that Christ cares for us. Christ cares for his bride. Friend, do not miss this point. Christ loves you. He cares for you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. That is a promise you can claim today with all eternity hanging in the balance. And no, beyond a shadow of it, He loves you. He cares for you. He will provide you. Regardless of your present circumstances and the trial that you're going through, God loves you. He cares for you. Another point I want you to see in this text is Paul's citation of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. He quotes there, verse 31, he's quoting from the Old Testament. 
two points I want to make from that. Number one, this exhortation of husbands' love for their wives and a wives' submission to their husbands is not grounded in culture but creation. In other words, it transcends the culture that Paul's writing in and applies even to ours today. Meaning that though our culture redefines what marriage is, redefines uh, what monogamous means or one flesh union means or uh, uh, married for life means, the Bible has grounded it in the created order. In God's good creation, a man and a wife, he says there in verse 31, are to leave and cleave, right? They are to leave their father and mother and hold fast to his wife. In other words, he is to have only one singular love. Though he loves his father and mother, there is now a new love, a singular love. But Paul's point continues, and the two shall become one. The Bible teaches that husbands and wives become one, not merely through sexual union, but through the union of their own souls together. Husbands, we are to care about our wives because we are united with them in one flesh union. Throughout this section, Paul is exhorting these husbands to love themselves. Love yourself. I mean, look, if you're really united to your wife in in a one flesh union, it just makes sense that you're going to love your wife, Paul says. Because you're natural in loving yourself, just extend that out. I mean, you think about all the ways you care for yourself. As he says, nourish and cherish. I mean, you feed yourself, right? You make sure that you have all the, the needs you have. Why don't you make sure that your wife is cared for in a similar way? Positively here, well, we are to think about all the ways that, that we want to be cared for. All the ways that we want to be loved. All the ways that we desire for affection. We are to think about our wives in that way. Brother, do you think about the care of your wife? Do you ask her about her struggles, her victories, things that she's wrestling with in prayer? Do you ask how she's doing spiritually? Are her needs being met? Or do you care more about keeping up with your fantasy football? Do you care more about your career than your wife's needs? Do you care more about what others think of you than what you think of your own bride? A number of years ago, my wife and I were out shopping at my favorite store, Walmart. We happened upon a coworker of mine. This particular coworker, we had had many conversations. We had worked tirelessly together many hours. There's something unique about people, pastors particularly, that people tend to open up spiritually. I was working a secular job. This man was not a Christian by any means, living in unrepentant sin. And he would often tell me about his life, his marriage. We would just talk about life. And he would tell me how overworked his wife was, how exhausted she was. She was a, she was a nurse. She worked 
night shifts at the local hospital. Oftentimes he would come home finding her in the hallway doing laundry and having passed out from exhaustion. Overworked, overburdened. Well, anyways, we happened upon this, this man one day at the Wally World. And I asked him, what are you doing? And he says, I'm buying cleaning supplies for my wife. I said, oh, really? Yep. Buying cleaning supplies for the, old, for the old lady. Now, granted, this man was in his 30s and his wife was not old. But it illustrates a bit of, a, of some of our hard-heartedness and hard-headedness. I guess you could say positively, at least he showed enough affection to go buy the cleaning supplies for her. But perhaps maybe going a little bit further by actually cleaning. It illustrates how silly we can be. How often we can be concerned. I want a clean house, but, but not do the dishes. Brothers, what are ways, small ways, that you can demonstrate care for your bride? Maybe it's helping with the children a little bit more. Maybe it's helping with the chores around the home. Maybe you do those things and it's something else. I don't want to be so specific that you miss the point. Brothers, we should be experts on our wives. What is it that your wife loves? Find those things. Lean into that and show affection for your wife's needs. Feelings are okay. They are God-given. Learn to know your wife's feelings. Husbands love by being attentive to the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of his wife. In these ways, Christ's affection for his bride is reflected in our lives. Brothers and sisters, this is a, an immensely difficult passage to obey. As I said last week, husbands, we have work to do. We have ways we need to grow. So let us not leave burdened, discouraged. Wives, do not be discouraged that your husband doesn't love you enough. Trust Christ's love for you. Husbands, don't give up on your wife because she doesn't love you the way you wish she would or care for you the way you wish she would. Husbands, love sacrificially. Love unconditionally. Love with that sanctifying purpose in your lives. See that your wife is better spiritually because of your care. And love affectionately. Many don't know this particular writer, but many, many may be aware of him. During the turn of the century, there was a great, during the turn of the 19th into the 20th century, there was a, there was a theological storm brewing. The epicenter of that storm was Princeton University and Princeton Seminary. A prestigious school that was once, not anymore today, a leader in conservative theology and teaching. But slowly over time, theological liberals begin to creep in and begin to attack the inerrancy of Scripture. Begin to undermine the sufficiency of God's word. Begin to doubt whether or not there was a historical Adam. The Bible was true and trustworthy. 
There was a team of professors there that stood the storm, that stood up against this theological drift going on in evangelicalism. And one of those professors was B.B. Warfield. B.B. Warfield was a relentless lion in his fight against this theological drift. In his writings, he helped pastors and theologians shore up their defense against the inspiration of the Spirit. The inspiration of scripture to shore up even today our own statement of faith. Because of these warriors in the Presbyterian church and because of men like J. Gretchen Mason and B.B. Warfield. We today can, can rest assured that we believe the Bible's true. But there's more to B.B. Warfield's life than most know. He married his young bride, Annie. Just a few days after their marriage ceremony, they went off onto their honeymoon. And on their honeymoon, they got caught in a horrific storm. Lightning was all around them, and his wife was struck by lightning. Paralyzed and would live a life as an invalid. And her husband would care for her. All the while, he served as a professor at Princeton Seminary. Not going, oftentimes, more than an hour. In between lectures, he would go home, spend time with her, go back, lecture again. In fact, it was because of all of the time that he spent caring and loving his wife that he was able to devote such thought and devotion to Christ in his study of God's Word. Rather than busying himself with meeting with students or with other well-to-know people, he sat there beside his wife in his study, dressing her, feeding her, and loving her until her death. J. Gretchen Machen would say of Warfield that his love for his bride was unmatched to only Christ's love for his a man of such intellect, a man who could have taken the theological world by fire, was held back by his invalid wife. Or so the enemy thought. Warfield's books are still in print today, a hundred years later. Still read by seminary students today and by pastors alike. His arguments still used today to defend against inerrancy. And the theological drift of liberalism, even among us. Husbands, may we love our brides in such a way. To lay aside our ambitions in life. To lay aside what we think we deserve. And to relentlessly love our bride. Irregardless of the circumstances we find ourselves. For the glory of Christ and the good of his bride, the church. Let's pray. Father, we pray today. That as we think about your love for us, an unmatched love, a relentless love, unconditional, sacrificial, what a love there is. What a call it is for husbands to love in the same way. I pray for the marriages of our church, that they would be on the bedrock of the word of God. 
the Spirit of God would keep us and guard us from the evil one. From a drifting eye or a lazy love, help us to relentlessly love our wives, love the bride of Christ, 